Good morning, everyone. Again, a hard act to follow. If uh, you would, open your Bibles. And if you want to be at the first verse, we'll start today. It'll actually be in Psalm 16. So if you want to, you can turn to Psalm 16. But uh, I was going to start with the title of my message. I don't always have a title, but I did this time. The title is The Limit to Happiness. The Limit to Happiness. First, we need to talk about what happiness is. And like every good uh, person, I start with Google and uh, say what is happiness or what happiness is. And uh, you, of course, will find a practical infinite number of websites that will try to tackle this issue. I'll read you the top four on just one of the sites if you want to. You could go to www.boardofwisdom.com, boardofwisdom.com, but I don't recommend it. Uh, so the first one, the first answer to what is happiness is this. Each morning when I open my eyes, I say to myself, I, not events, have the power to make me happy or unhappy today. I can choose which it shall be. Yesterday is dead. Tomorrow hasn't arrived yet. I have just one day, today, and I'm going to be happy in it. So, sounds nice. In fact, most of the sites you'll go to will have something of this type. This is what happiness is. It's something to do with my power to be happy if I choose to be happy. And it appeals to us because... Uh, we're proud, and uh, we want to think we have the power. This doesn't work. At least it never worked for me. If it works for you, let me know. Uh, and of course, if it worked, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. We wouldn't have seven billion unhappy people on the face of the earth. If all it took is me wanting to be happy and I'd be happy, everybody would be happy. So, sorry, but uh, that's number one. Number two is uh, the same girl who laughs and talks a lot and seems very happy is also the girl who may cry herself to sleep. So I'm not sure why that was chosen as number two, but uh, it's certainly true, right? A lot of time we uh, either fake happiness or, you know, we may have, you know, some sort of partial happiness. So maybe I'll be happy part of the time and unhappy part of the time. So that's true. Certainly sometimes people seem very happy and they're not really happy, or it might be just a fading happiness. Number three, some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. <laughs> so you can figure why that one won number three. It's probably for the laughs. I'll read it again in case some missed it. Some cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. Happiness is, this is number four, and that's another uh, common one you would find. And this guy, uh, maybe to help himself get near the top, chose 46 of them. 46 sub-reasons or sub-things that are happiness inside of the phrase happiness is. 
I'll only read you 10 of them, so we'll not overwhelm the system. Happiness is, number one, falling in love. Number two, laughing so hard your face hurts. Number three, a hot shower. Number four, no lines at the supermarket. Number five, a special glance. Number six, getting mail. Number seven, taking a drive on a pretty road. Number eight, hearing your favorite song on the radio. Number nine, lying in bed listening to the rain outside. Number ten, hot towels fresh out of the dryer. <laughs> what, what I'd like you to notice about these happiness definitions of happiness is they're all circumstantial, right? I mean, if what makes me happy is hot towels fresh out of the dryer, I don't know about you, but that's not going to happen every day. So some days maybe I'll be happy. If that's the way I become happy, other days I will not be happy. So with that, let's turn to the scriptures. I told you Psalm 16 is where we will start. And you can just look at the last verse of Psalm 16. And this is, if you would, the biblical definition of what is happiness or happiness is. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, what is happiness? Well, happiness is being in the presence of God. That's what this verse says is happiness. And... Uh, Makes sense if you think about it. He is the one who made us. He is the only one who really knows how to keep me happy. It's interesting when you look at it, talking about this happiness. First of all, it's full happiness, right? It's not this partial or fake happiness. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Uh, second, it uh, doesn't pass away or it's not circumstantial because it says, at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. So never end. God is the only one who can keep me fully happy all the time. And uh, <clears throat> I, would, I would add, just comparing it to the previous ones, and I guess I, I may have already said some of it, uh, it does not depend on my own power. Okay? It fully depends upon his power to make me happy, and that's a good thing, because I don't have the power to make me happy. And number two, it's, I said it's not fake or partial, and number three, it's not circumstantial. It's always there. Jesus says, no one, talking about the joy he gives the disciples, he says, no one will take it from you. Nobody has the power to take the joy of God from me. I could potentially remove myself from out that joy, but nobody has the power to take that joy from me. And... Uh, one of the reasons for that is Jesus promised, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We, we were singing about uh, the blessings of, of being saved and being with God and being in, in heaven. And, and perhaps you could apply these verses that I just read uh, to it from Psalm 1611, being forever with God in heaven. But it's a joy we can actually start experiencing now. I remember one of the most vivid emotions I had when I was saved was just joy. I was just completely overflowing with it. 
And uh, I remember for several days, it seems like there was nothing else I could talk about except for that joy. And as I said, sometimes we seem to be able to take ourselves out of it, but God makes it available for us now, not just in heaven, and he makes it available for us always, always. Okay, so that's what happiness is. We now know what happiness is. Now we'll talk about the limits of happiness. So let's now go ahead and turn to the book of Luke, where we've been studying, Luke chapter 11. And we'll continue where we stopped last at verse 27. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 27. And it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Okay, the limits, the limits to happiness. Well, first of all, we have a woman that thinks she knows what the secret for happiness is, and she feels free to share it very loudly in the crowd, so we should consider what she says. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. The word blessed there simply means happy or maybe the highest level of happiness that one can experience. So she said the secret to being happy is being merry. If you're merry, you'll be happy. Now, uh, because, of course, Mary is the one who gave birth to him and nursed him. Uh, sounds good, perhaps. It's kind of limited. <laughs> I wouldn't be happy if Mary is the only person who got to be happy in the universe. And uh, fortunately for us, Jesus expands it and says, well, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and keep it. Well, that's a wider door of opportunity, wouldn't you say? Right? That includes all of us. In fact, you're hearing it this morning. And Jesus says, you can be more blessed than Mary was 
by simply hearing the word of God and keeping it. Now, uh, why does Jesus not endorse what this lady says? And perhaps it may be simply to expand the door of blessing, which I appreciate. Um, I was thinking maybe it's worth thinking a little bit the ways in which she was limited earthly blessing to, because she could have been thinking of a wider circle than just Mary, but certainly it's a restrictive circle of blessing. Uh, the first, it could be <coughs> that Jesus is not endorsing it because she's suggesting that our happiness is limited to our earthly relationships. So it could be, and, and let me uh, just use as an example the people of Israel or the Jews. The Jews thought that God's blessings were limited to them. In fact, we're kind of going through that in the book of Galatians. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, the Jews were going and trying to tell the, the Gentile believers in Jesus that they needed more. They needed to become Jews before they can enjoy the blessings of Christ. <clears throat> and uh, some people today will say, you, you'll have an opportunity for a blessing if you're born in the church, if you're baptized, if you have Christian parents. In some way, they might try to limit it. So I thought maybe we'll read what Jesus, actually Paul says about this in Romans chapter 10. So if you wish to turn there, hopefully what we'll get out of it simply is that the blessings of God are not limited. So Romans chapter 10 and verses 12 through 15. Jesus says there, for the, sorry, Paul, Paul is saying there, keeps saying, of course, Jesus is an apostle of Paul, so his words are effectively Christ's words. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. There's a lot of things we can notice about this passage. I'll try not to spend too much time on it. But the first one is that there's no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The Jews were, if you would, the privileged ones on the face of the earth. They were the ones where the temple was, that uh, the Jews would go to worship. The one true God was in their midst. They were given the law of Moses. Uh, they could appeal to the promises that God made to their fathers about their father's descendants. They could, in a sense, really think all of God's promises are for themselves. Uh, so there was the idea of limitation. God's blessings are only available to this limited few. And Paul is very clear here saying there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. By the way, if you're not a Jew, you're a Greek in this verse. So it applies to you. There is no distinction. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So God is, is rich to all. So first of all, the true source of blessing... I'm careful to not say that, that uh, and Jesus didn't say that the word of God is the source of blessing. The source of blessing is God himself, and that's what it says here. He is the Lord that is rich to all. There's no limit to the blessing, or rather the happiness that God can give you. 
There's nothing holding him back. But he is rich to all that call upon him. Well, great. So if I call upon the Lord, I will be blessed or I will be happy. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that tells me exactly how I'm being made happy. Being saved is really synonymous in being brought into a relationship with God. It's to a large extent what we were singing about, being saved. It's, it's what the verse was that says, in your presence is fullness of joy. How do you get transported into the presence of God? Well, by being saved from your sins. It's your sins that keep you outside of God's presence. When God saves you from your sins, you're transported into the presence of God. You now have a relationship with him. And that's the source of happiness. Right? Well, how does that happen? How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And that's, that's the problem. How do we get to the point where we're now calling upon the Lord to be saved? Well, and how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And here the word of God comes into play. The word of God is the means that God uses to bring us to believe on him and then to call upon him and then to be saved. So the word of God is the access point. And that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying rather or more than that, those who hear the word of God and believe it are the ones who are going to be happy. It's not through human relationships. Uh, the other potential problem in what this woman was saying, she may have been suggesting Mary did something so wonderful that she deserves to be happy. What wonderful did you, thing did Mary do? Well, she brought Jesus into the world. What a wonderful act. You know, she did, for that wonderful act, she deserves to be happy. And uh, to counter that, we have Titus 3.5 saying, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So it doesn't come out of us. It's nothing that I do that ushers me into the blessed presence of God. It's all of him. It's his mercy that brings me in there. Again, my blessing doesn't depend upon me. My happiness doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon him. Okay, uh, so much with what this lady said, which Jesus does not endorse, and as I said, Jesus is opening here wide the gateway to happiness, saying, well, anybody who hears this word and keeps it is going to be more blessed than Mary was. And I should say, limit it by saying, he will be more blessed than Mary was as a result of bringing Jesus into this world. Now, Mary may be extremely blessed right now in heaven, but it's not because she brought Jesus into the world. It's because she did the same thing. She heard the word of God. And she believed it. In fact, that's what the Bible says. This is an Elizabeth, really, prophecy to her. She says, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So Mary herself was blessed by hearing the word of God and believing it, not by bringing Christ into the world. Okay. Uh, and another reason of why Jesus is doing it, and really that will be the rest of the passage, is Jesus' listeners were missing that blessing of God. There he was, the word of God in their midst. He was making available to them the unlimited riches of God's blessing, and they were missing it. They were, in a sense, limited from access to these blessings. And he's trying here to open their eyes to it. Okay, so what are the limits of blessings? Or what is it that limits our happiness? And we have that in the rest of the passage. I'll go ahead and reread, starting at verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, 
before they started dispersing. As soon as Jesus started, starts giving them some of the bad news, the crowd will disperse. So he's, he's speaking quickly here. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. So here you have really the first limit on our happiness, and that's that of belief. If you remember, in our passage last week, Jesus was doing a miracle. He was casting a demon from someone. The mute man started speaking. It was a great sign that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. And yet people are saying, you know, you know, Lord, we want you to show us a sign from heaven. And really what they meant by saying it is we don't believe you. We don't believe that what you say is the word of God. We want to see a real sign that proves it. And because they didn't believe, they were not blessed through the word of God. Remember, so the blessing comes really from God giving it to us. He does it when we call upon him. We call upon him when we believe in him. We believe because we hear the word of God. Well, if I refuse to believe the word of God, it stops right there. He just broke the connection. The blessings of God are not going to come from his word when you don't believe what his word is saying. Now, I, I had a recent experience. Um, I work in a company that, uh, that makes LEDs or light emitting diodes. I'm a characterization engineer, which means it's my job to decide how good these devices are. And as uh, the design team or the development team tries to develop something new, you know, I check out, is it really an improvement? Am I really making this device any better? And so in a meeting on Friday, I shared my results or some results I had, and somebody questioned it. And uh, I didn't appreciate that my you know, presentation was being questioned. Now, you know, we don't like it. Think how God feels when you're questioning his word. Now, people may have had a good reason to question me. First of all, you know, the amount of data I had was limited. You know, I only had some of the data that could be gathered from these devices. So maybe there was some additional data, and that's really what they wanted to see, is some additional data. Show us this other data and this other data. My data, my information was limited. Okay, God's information is not limited. When he says something, he's using all the information that is in the universe. Uh, second of all, my interpretation could be wrong. Maybe I have the right data, you know, but I'm looking at it upside down. You know, I could be making a mistake. You know, I'd like to think that I'm a great engineer and all, but I've made mistakes before, and I will make mistakes again. And it could be that in that particular presentation that I was presenting information, I was making an error of interpretation. Now, God doesn't make mistakes. Okay? He, he can look at the data, and he comes to the right conclusion every time. Now, the third is, I could be flat-out lying. And I, I don't like to think of that because I don't like to, to call myself a liar. But the truth is we don't always say the truth. A lot of time we know something, we don't say it. Or we know something is wrong and we'll repeat it because we're not reliable. Well, God is the one who does not lie. So God has a right to be offended at his word when his word is not being believed. So that's the first way you break the blessings of God. Is you read his word and like, I don't believe it. Well, it stops right there. Doesn't, doesn't get any farther. No happiness. Limit to happiness, number one. Not believing what God says in his word. 
<coughs> number two, limit number two, <coughs> we have for us <coughs> in verse 31, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus is now borrowing from history, and he's actually looking to the future. He's describing a real event that will happen one day when the people of his generation will have to stand side by side with the Queen of Sheba, and she says, what's up with you? When I, when I heard the word of God was available, the wisdom of God was available, you know, I traveled a thousand miles to hear the word of God. You guys had it next to you, and you were not even interested in it. So limit number two, really, is not valuing the word of God, seeing no, no value in the word of God. Let's go ahead and turn, if you would, I think I have enough time, turn, if you would, to where we will find this passage. That's 1 Kings chapter 10, 1 through 9. And I'd like you to think as we go through it, the evidence of how much value the Queen of Shiva put in the Word of God. And just to, you know, obviously, does, does, and really Jesus makes a point out of it, Solomon didn't have the full Word of God. We know he, he made a lot of mistakes himself as a person. So really what he has is a very limited portion of God's wisdom available to him. And yet he, is, he was a vessel containing that wisdom. And, uh, and think of, as we go through this, how much queen, the Queen of Sheba appreciated, how much she valued the wisdom of God or the word of God or whatever limited amount Solomon had of, had, had of that. First Kings chapter 10. Now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their apparel, his cupbearers, and the entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed is, blessed is the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Let me read again verse 8. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. She, she was jealous of his servants. 
because they had the privilege of hearing the wisdom of God that was given to Solomon. <clears throat> so I would say, just like God expects us to believe his word, he expects us to value his word. The Queen of Shiva treated his word the way she should have. If you read the word of God and you see no value in it, the blessings stop right there. The word of God, it's the access to blessing or to happiness, but if you don't see any value in it, the blessings stop at that point. It has to get past that point. One of the limits to blessing is our recognition that there's a value in the word of God, that it's worth seeking for it. If you uh, are aware of the word of God, and, and there may be people here, or, or you may know some, and yet you're not pursuing it, you're not interested in it. I'm hoping the fact you're here means you are interested in it. You're aware of it being available. Like the Queen of Shiva heard about it being available a thousand miles away. She made every effort to get to it. If you're aware of the, ble- of the fact that the Word of God is available, like, well, I'm not interested in that. Again, the blessings of God or the opportunity for happiness stops there. <clears throat> okay, the third, the third limit for happiness we have in the next... Uh, continuing passage in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and verse 32. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah in here. I would say limit number three is not doing what the Word of God says or not applying it to your life or not doing anything with it. And again, let's go ahead and turn to just see what happened. What is it that Jesus is referring to when he says that the people in Jonah's day repented uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. Might be a little bit harder to find than Kings. It comes right after Obadiah, if you happen to be in Obadiah, and right before Micah, if you happen to be in Micah. In Jonah chapter 3. And starting at verse 1, now the word of the Lord, again, it's the word of the Lord that is the means of blessing or the opportunity for happiness, the channel for happiness. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly Great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So that's the message of Jonah. He was given the word of God, and he was given a fairly simple message to tell them God is going to wipe the city out in forty days because of their sins. Now, again, as we read it, think of the responsiveness of these people. Think how much they're responding to the word of God. 
Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. The first key or channel you go through to receive the blessing. Proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? <clears throat> what a response to the word of God. I mean, you, you kind of wonder today, you tell people about their sins and what the Bible says about their sins, and there's a lot more information here than Jonah had in his disposal, and people, you know, seem to care less. And maybe they'll believe it, and like, okay, yeah, maybe I should do something about that. I mean, look at these people. I mean, they're going into mourning. Nobody in the whole city is allowed to eat. Everybody is crying out to God, repenting from their sins. That's the response God wants to see to his word. That's the path for blessing and happiness. If you don't, if you say, well, you know, that's interesting, you know, I think I'll agree with what God is saying. God is not looking for an intellectual agreement with what he says. He wants a response. <clears throat> Listen to what James says. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. It's hard for me to read this passage without thinking of my son. Uh, after he's done eating dinner, and the Shapiro's dinner, there's usually dessert afterwards, you know, we tell him to go and wash up. And he comes back from, from the bathroom, and I ask him, Joey, did you wash up? He says, yes. I say, go look in the mirror because there's like chocolate all over his lips. <laughs> so God doesn't just want us to look in the mirror. He wants to, us to do something about it. He wants us to take care of the problem. He says there's a problem. He wants us to respond to it. Okay. Uh, the last portion of this passage, so you can turn back to look. I promise I won't make you turn out of Luke again, so you can rest there for the rest of the message. So in Luke 11, the, the last portion of the passage is a parable that the Lord is saying. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in 
may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye, therefore when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So try to look at this parable from the perspective of what we've been talking on at today. It talks about a lamp and light, and we actually had almost the identical verse some chapters ago. Uh, but the point is God has made his truth and his blessing, his word, available through his word. But we have the eye that decides how we view God's word. How are we going to view it? Are we going to put our eye in a place where it can see what God says in his word? Or are we going to put it in a place where we don't see it? Or let's say, are we going to use our eyes in a way that results in blessing or happiness? Are we going to use it in a way that does not result in blessing or happiness? And the way you use your eye, the good eye versus the bad eye, relates to the passage we just read. In fact, the word here, bad, is the same Greek word that Jesus uses when he says evil generation. In effect, he's saying this is a bad generation. Or instead of saying your eye's bad, he's saying your eye's evil. Meaning, how you treat my word is what you're doing with your eyes. If you don't believe what I say, if you don't value what my word has in it, if you don't do what my word says to do, you have a bad eye. Sorry. And as a result, what he says is you're not going to have light or the knowledge of God or blessing, which is the same, right? Having this knowledge with God being in the presence of God really is where joy or happiness comes from. He says you will not have that if you have a bad eye, if this is the way you treat, treat my word. Now, he continues and he really um, tries to get their attention here. First of all, in verse 35, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. The problem is people often deceive themselves. They think they know the truth. They think they know God. They think they're happy. And they don't have any of those things. They're dark. Now, it's not easy uh, to convince people of that. <clears throat> I was uh, talking to my girls uh, earlier this week about the fact that some babies are born with problems. They might be born and they may be missing uh, some critical functions of their body, like they might be blind. Someone might be born blind. In fact, there's, we know cases where that is. And uh, they asked the question, or maybe I asked them, I forget how we started the discussion, how do you explain to someone that's blind that they're blind? How do you explain to someone that they're blind what something looks like? You can't. And, and really the issue is, they don't know that they're blind because this is the way things were always for them. You know because you can see. Well, in this particular case, Jesus is the one who can see. The people he's talking to are blind. And he's trying to tell them that. And it's hard. He's trying to say, be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness. And he tries to explain what it will it be like to have light. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. He's trying to give them an idea, what will it be like if you open yourself up to my word? The verses we read earlier, 
about the blessings of being with God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know who is speaking in this passage? It's the Lord Jesus. It is a prophecy of David, but these are verses that are attributed to the Lord Jesus saying. Applying. Jesus knows how wonderful it is to be with God. He's trying to open their eyes. He's trying to open our eyes to how wonderful it is to be with God, to know God. Okay, let me finish with this illustration of God's available blessings and the limits, limitation we put on God's blessing to us. Um, I discovered something when I moved to Fremont, and that is that the water is not as good in Fremont as it was in San Lorenzo or San Leandro or Berkeley for that matter. And those of you in Fremont, please don't take offense. <coughs> and the reason for it is all those places, San Lorenzo, San Leandro, Berkeley, have the best water this nation has to offer. So it's not that the water in Fremont is so bad. It's really you have uniquely good water wherever else you live in Alameda County, I think, <laughs> but uh, certainly not in Fremont. The reason for it is uh, about 100 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, uh, the city of San Francisco decided to invest in a system of bringing water from the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir all the way to San Francisco. And they built a system of aqueducts that goes for 167 miles. And that that system of aqueduct comes all the way to a main that goes, if you don't live in Fremont, down, down somewhere in your street, and it splits off and runs to your house. And in your house, you can go and open the, open the faucet in your kitchen sink and fill up a glass of water and enjoy beautiful snowmelt Sierra water that some of us are not so blessed to have. But you can enjoy it. Well, think of the Hetch Hetch Reservoir as God's blessing or the joy that's available that God has to give to us. Because it's true. First of all, it's better than anything else. Second of all, there's like no limit to it. Uh, somewhere it said how much, uh, how much water is in the Hetch Hetchy. All I have here is the fact that every day it delivers 31,900,000 cubic feet of fresh snowmelt water to your sink your house, if you don't live in Fremont. <laughs> I mean, it's an unlimited supply as far as I'm concerned. Well, that's the way God's blessings are. They're unlimited. Now, God has made a distribution system for his blessings. And this is it right here. This is God's distribution system of his blessing. It's the word of God. Now, Dave can go home, he's fortunate enough to live in, blessed enough to live in San Lorenzo, and you know, he could go and open the sink and fill up his cup with water. Or he can sit on his couch and complain that he doesn't have this fresh cup of water. Well, that's the way this world is in seeking for happiness. This world is complaining that it's not happy, but it's not because happiness is not there. God has an unlimited supply, and thus the distribution system has been provided. The problem is people will not go to the faucet 
and open it. And uh, that's what God has provided for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We consider uh, the source of blessing would not even be available to us if it was not for your blessed Son coming down and taking upon himself our sins and then rising from the dead and then sending the preachers, giving us your word that through it we might believe and be saved and enter into the fullness of joy. Lord, we should pray for anybody here who has yet resisted and limited your happiness to him or her by not going there and uh, taking up your word and believing it, valuing it, and applying it to their lives. We pray that they might do so and that they might even do so today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.